Hello, this is the Nucleus Brewing Podcast with Dan Carey. I am Scott May. We have Dan Carey with us. Uh, and today we're going to be talking about American style lagers, which is something I'm actually really, really excited to talk about because I kind of feel like American style lagers get sort of a bad rap in the craft beer world, but they are sort of an exceptionally consistent and well put together kind of beer that on a day like today where it somehow managed to jump from like 40 degrees to 80 degrees would feel pretty good to drink. Do I got that pretty much right, Dan? Yeah. Whenever uh, we are out uh, in the summer and we go to a tavern and we're sitting outside on a on a bench and uh, I they say they have totally naked on tap. That's my definitely my go-to beer on a hot summer day. Oh, oh yeah, for sure, for sure. And uh, totally naked uh, is the American style lager beer from New Glarus. Um, and it did just get released out into the market not that long ago, probably a week or so ago. So it, it, it sort of stays around all summer, doesn't it? Yeah, that's right. It's definitely a summer beer. And why I was interested in wanting to talk to you about this uh, style of beer in particular, and we're going to be talking about this, and we're I'm excited also because we're also going to be talking about the Pilsner you're going to be releasing in a couple of weeks as well, right? Yep, yep. Why I'm very excited to talk about uh, this topic in particular is because I kind of believe like, you know, everybody sort of probably has a memory somewhere locked deep inside of sitting on their dad's or their mom's knee and they've cracked a can of something cold and, and domestic. And that's what ends up kind of being your first beer at age. Oh, I don't know, anywhere between four and 10. So somewhere in that neighborhood, did you, did you have a similar experience? Oh yeah. I, I always loved beer from as long as I can remember. And my dad used to drink, uh, Olympia Oli, uh, mm-hmm. from Washington and Coors. And, um, yeah, I uh, always loved beer. I uh, I am from our uh, very friendly neighbors to the south, down in northern Illinois. So i i don't I don't recall what it it would have been in specific, but if I were to had to guess, it would have been an old style. Yeah, definitely. If you're Illinois boy, that's an old style country. Yep, yep. And I I remember exactly where I was too. I was at my grandpa Carl's house, is a fire captain in DeKalb, Illinois, and. And we were sitting in his living room and they were drinking beer. And I said, can I, can I get some of that? And they gave me a sip and I don't think I was a fan right away. <laughs> oh, I was. You, you were uh, that, you were that one kid who was like, that's really good. Yeah, right. That's right. Well, that's my son too, which is really, really funny is he, the first time he took a sip of beer, uh, he, I was like, you're not going to like it. And he's like, well, I want to try it. And the first time he took a sip, he's like, that's really good. Can I yeah, have another? I was he's like, a good man. Yeah, he really, he really, really is. So can you first run us through uh, sort of what is a what is a lager beer in general? Well, a, a lager is a German word. It means to store or to age. So traditionally, a lager beer is a beer that goes through an extended period of aging, a mellowing process. Uh, lager beer really came about probably 500 or 500, maybe 600 years ago um, in present day Bavaria, mainly probably in Franconia, and also it's said in Czech Republic that they came up with it at about the same time. Um, before that time, all beers were really what we would call top fermented beers mm-hmm. uh, or ales, um, and those yeasts have been around forever. But what happened in the 1400s and 1500s was that laws were passed in Germany 
requiring that beer be made only in the wintertime because beer made in the heat of summer often spoils very quickly. So uh, as a um, way to improve quality, and I'm sure to... um, to protect the market uh, mm-hmm. market share because uh, the beer wasn't very good in Bavaria at that time. Um, and imports were, were taking over and taxes were not being paid for imported beer. So the government said, that's enough. We only brew in the wintertime. Let's make a better beer. So th- that was the first thing. And the second thing was that it was uh, a time of the little ice age. Mm-hmm. So it was very, very cold and uh, since people could only brew in the wintertime, they would uh, brew and then store the beer in caves um, with ice mm-hmm. uh, and age it, lager it over the, over the winter into the summer. And then they would slowly pull from that all summer long in, in beer gardens. And often beer gardens are built on tops of uh, uh, ice caves. So even in Wisconsin, there are old ice caves that lager beer was brewed um, in and uh, what happened was the this ale yeast that brewers were using um, was uh, combined with a different yeast strain, Saccharomyces oibionis, and this was a cold tolerant yeast. So Saccharomyces cerevisiae, which is an ale yeast, combined with oibionis to make a yeast that was more robustly resistant to cold temperatures. And this combination of yeast produced a different flavor of beer, say, maybe more clean. Um, and it could be, it could continue to ferment at very, very cold temperatures. Ale, ales generally need to be at ambient temperatures. Mm-hmm. So this style of beer was, um, started to become more popular, particularly in Germany. And as people learn how to brew with this type of yeast, it really reached its zenith in the uh, early 1800s in Munich. And what we know as lager beer really came, industrial lager beer came out, came about through technology that was developed and brewing methods that are still used today came about in Munich. Mainly at the Hofbräuhaus House in Munich was really the place where the nexus of lager beer. And there was a man in Munich, uh, Settelmeyer, who basically was training brewers from all over the world. And uh, he was also giving them yeast. That yeast made its way to Carlsberg Brewery and the Carlsberg Brewery selected the best strains. And uh, it's a double-edged sword. Now, most beers are made with descendants of those strains. So that was a pinch point in the, in the, um, genetic diversification of lager yeast. And so maybe lots of really interesting lager yeast were lost, but more or less we're all brewing with descendants of those yeasts that came from, most likely came from the Hofbräuhaus in Munich in the 1820s using technology that came from the 1820s. And it became very, very popular, much easier drinking than ales, Mm -hmm much more stable than ales. And so it just took the world year by year, took the world by storm and lager yeast made it to the United States in about the 1840s or so. And it supplanted ale. Uh, You know, we're an English country, so we made English ales. And then when the Germans started to immigrants started to come and they brought their lager yeast in the 1840s, lager beer really took off in the United States and took off all, all over the world 
mainly because of its drinkability. Well, that opens up a couple of, of sort of lines of thought in my head. The first being when there with when this law is passed in Germany, that's basically essentially saying, "Hey, guys." we're going to need you to step up the quality of our, yeah, our beer go, if we want to protect, you know, our, our tradition, tax base. Yeah, our tax base and, and our tradition of, of, of brewing. So they start developing these yeast strains back then. Were, do you think they were aware of the science or is it more of just like trial and error and not really knowing why it was working the way it was working? Uh, yeah, definitely. It was uh, empirical. Mm-hmm. Um, First of all, Bavaria was originally a grape-growing area. It was a wine area, and still they grow grow some make wine. But when the when the cold snap came, the little ice age, they they switched to beer. But um, really, uh, the the often you'll read people will say that before the Rhine High School, people didn't didn't use yeast. They didn't know what yeast was, and lambic was the original style of beer. That's not really true. Brewers knew what yeast was mm-hmm. forever. Okay, they didn't really understand that it was a single-celled organism, that it was a fungus. They didn't have that science, but they knew that this stuff that settled to the bottom of a tank or rose to the top of a tank was necessary to make beer. And sometimes brewers would have, in, say in small farmhouses, they would have... Um, wooden paddles for example and the yeast would be infused into that wooden paddle and it was a magic stick Mm -hmm. every time they made wort or the base of beer they they would mix they would mix the the batch with this magic stick and it would transform into a ferment a ferment meaning to bubble uh and it, it was magic but you know in england i think they had a term for yeast called god is good it's it's this this um slurry that that would settle out of the beer and they knew that they had to keep reusing it and so the idea that they didn't know about yeast is completely false the idea that our forebearers were uh somehow lesser than us or less clever than us is completely utterly wrong in a lot of ways they were smarter than us more clever um and the uh, idea of, of having an apprenticeships and a master and a journeyman uh, meant that a lot of this um, technology was kept in-house uh, in the brewery and it was not shared. So it wasn't until the eight, mid-1800s in the, um, the blossoming of, of the uh, Industrial Revolution in Germany, the I think they called the Gründerzeit, the time of blossoming where people started to publish books and write about the science of brewing, most things were kept in the guild or in the brewery. And people said, this is, I know from experience that when we do this, we have a good outcome. And they would harvest their lager yeast and repitch it. And if they had problems, if it became infected, they would go down the road to the neighbor brewery and get yeast from that brewery. And that's pretty much what brewers did up until the 1980s. Um, well, that's that that is like that's really cool to me because it, it does strike on something I think that's um, that we get caught up in in our time of saying, well, you, you got to know exactly how it works. Not really. You just need to know that it works and then be able to replicate it. Uh, yes, that's true. But the 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 now the modern in the old days, you know, breweries only sold around their smokestack. Mm-hmm. So every village had a brewery or two and beer didn't travel. Beer didn't wasn't there was no roads. Uh, 
to get beer from one place to the other was very difficult. It was put in barrels and it was sold in the local tavern so that the competition was not so much there. So if there were two breweries in town and one, one, one made better beer than the other, maybe, maybe the second one would close, but the competition wasn't as fierce as it yeah. is now. And so to become more efficient, to be, to, uh, produce beer at a more economically and a better beer work. It's human nature to continuously try to improve. And now, unfortunately, we deal with a global beer market. So when you go to a Chinese restaurant, you can find Chinese beer. Okay, it's probably made in Los Angeles mm-hmm. under contract. But be that as it may, we live in a very much international market. And in those days, it wasn't so. Um, it was a two town market. Well, that's right. And people moved, um, things took more time. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we moved quickly with our cell phones and, and computers and whatever. But in those days, generation by generation, things improved and people were probably, I would argue they were probably smarter than we are. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that because you're definitely doing a lot more with a lot less at, well, that, at that point. And I, I've, I've even read a, 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 a comment by a, a barley breeder that said that uh, he's amazed at how people were breeding barley thousands of years ago. They were selecting barley just in the field. And he was a geneticist that spends a, spends a lot of time thinking about these things in a lot of with a lot of technology and a lot of fancy machines and big laboratories. These people did it by walking around the field and he scratched his head and said, you know, reproductive success is not necessarily correlated to intelligence. So to assume that we, through uh, generation by generation, we are becoming more intelligent is probably not true. The people that decided that horses could be domesticated, but zebras couldn't, in a lot of ways, they didn't have laboratories. The people that selected this lager yeast to, to perform in a cold cellar because of changes in laws were simply observing. And that's all science is, is mm-hmm. observe something, see an effect, make another test, see an effect and come to a conclusion. They didn't have uh, HPLCs and GCs and uh, cell phones, but they certainly were very, very smart. It, you know, it's amazing when you think about the things that people were able to do with just simply observation. Yeah, yeah, no, and, and I, this could go get me on a whole other tangent, but let's let's bring it out over to America. Yeah, right? there you go. Let's bring it over to America. Focus, Dan. <laughs> well, no, I, I love these kind of conversations because they just get my mind sort of going. And what I was thinking about when I was thinking about talking about American style loggers is that, like you said, uh, we are you know started off as an English colony. We had ales, that sort of tradition, and then sort of. And we are a young country. So when we think about these things, and it may seem like America is getting old, but like in the grand scope of history, you know, we're not, we are not that old. And we had sort of a line of demarcation in our history where prohibition just sort of came in like a cudgel and just shut down what everybody was doing pre-prohibition. And regional breweries shuttered. Some maybe came back. Some maybe shifted to soda or other stuff they could produce. But a lot of them shut down. And within that shutdown, there, there had to have just been a host of lost knowledge in uh, pre-prohibition era era brewing. So I guess my question is, uh, in regards to the American style lager, did that really come about as sort of uh, a reboot after prohibition? 
no, actually, uh, American style lager, which is really defined as a lager beer, uh, uh, as as I said, with that type of yeast, but it's made traditionally. It's made. It's a low hopping rate, and it's it's light in color, and it's not a hundred percent barley malt. Normally, it's nowadays it's 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 forty percent rice or corn, and mm-hmm. then the rest is barley malt. Um, and, uh, uh, it's a very light, easy drinking beer, but prohibition, it, it, that style of beer c- came about long before prohibition. It was already happening, but what prohibition did was stop the technology. In other words, there were, there were malt houses and there were equipment manufacturers, there were brewing schools and they, there were very talented brewers and great local companies. So for the 13 years that prohibition happened, and frankly, nobody knew when was it going to, I mean, what was it going to come back ever? So, so a lot of people just left, maybe they left the country. A lot of equipment suppliers went out of business. uh, Schools went out of business. Malt houses went out of business. So a lot of that institutional knowledge was lost. So that the, before prohibition, there were lots of idiosyncratic beers uh, in the United States. Uh, Kentucky Common, uh, uh, California Steam Beer, for example. Uh, Alaska also had steam beers. And when Prohibition ended, the law said that it had, the beer had to be 3.2% alcohol mm-hmm. or less. So a lot of these beers are not conducive to that low alcohol. Uh, and that was a problem because... You know, beer, especially at low alcohol, is not really stable. It can sour very easily. So some of these rustic beers required higher alcohol. But after Prohibition, when they came back to make a 3.2 beer, you really needed to tunnel pasteurization and you need to make a different style of beer. So those were the things around Prohibition. But the idea of the American style lager or the American style Pilsner came about, I believe, probably in the 1880s, and it was a progression of technology. And it was there was a lot of consternation, a lot of fighting among brewers about this style of beer versus the traditional German style of beer. So when we're talking about American-style lagers, and we're talking about, so now sort of flashing forward from end of Prohibition in 1930 to through the 1980s, really you start seeing, um, you know, breweries that are doing this start to grow and the ones you know the ones you know of they sort of take over the scene you know Anheuser-Busch with Budweiser and and Miller and uh, Coors and they're they're making all this similar style beer and that's sort of and like you said in in Munich that's just sort of sweeping the American beer scene right so when craft brewing really starts to come come around and I know there was craft breweries in you know throughout the 80s but it really starts to get its legs under it in the 90s you didn't really see craft brewers making American style lagers. Was that as a direct response to as a differentiation of craft from sort of the macro breweries? Yeah, uh, for sure. There was a, uh, a few things that happened in the eighties. Um, first of all, um, Jimmy Carter legalized home brewing. And so people could start brewing in their houses. The, the books that were available to teach people how to brew were mainly, um, from England, although there was a, there was during prohibition, there was a, a, a home brewing, but that, that was, that was a uh, kind of coarse and rough and really not really conducive to good beer. It was mm-hmm. just a vehicle for alcohol. So in the eighties, people start to read 
English homebrewing books, and that was all around English ale. So the first craft beers that came out in the 80s were mainly pale ales and stouts and porters. Mm-hmm. Although, it don't forget that before Prohibition and even after Prohibition, there were IPAs in America. Um, well-made, aromatic, assertively hopped beers. Again, that a lot of that technology was erased during Prohibition, and it's and uh, it's slowly. Uh, Ballantine was the last one. Ballantine influenced beers like um, uh, 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 Anchor Liberty Ale was mm-hmm. the, like the first IPA or a rebirth. So they weren't a new beer; they existed in the American tradition before then. But um, after Prohibition, the local breweries, most of them did not open. And those that did open were fighting against the national shippers because this was an age of uh, development of interstate commerce. You know, yeah. it was something that we learned from the Nazis, how to build roads mm-hmm. that crossed the country. Uh, railroads, uh, which had started before Prohibition, but the ability to move beer long distances is a relatively new idea. Um, the other thing is, is that post-World War II, um, in the time of Pax Americana, the time of, the, the time of peace, um, when America was the big dog, a lot of young people would take their, just like the, the, old, the English used to do in the 1800s, the time of Victoria, they would make their trip around Europe. People would backpack around Europe uh, and they would be exposed to all of these beers and there was a renaissance of food and beer and coffee. People said, boy, you know, this American beer is kind of boring. I had some really great beer in Prague or I had really great beer in London. How come we can't get that beer? And out of that, entrepreneurs started to come up with making um, these beers. And, and English ale, frankly, is, is, uh, takes less equipment mm-hmm. and it's faster than making lager beer. Lager beer, as I said, needs to be stored and aged, so it needs more tanks and needs more cold. Whereas ales are, I don't want to say rudimentary, but they're easier to make with less capital. So uh, the startup's not so steep. That's right, and the technology is not as complex. So, when did you first start making totally naked, which is just a which which is a to like the the your to the form example of an american lager beer uh probably in the um mid 90s um at that time w- our number one beer was edelpils mm-hmm. which is a sort of a, a we we were making lager beers when we started because everybody else in wisconsin was making ales and I've said many times that we always go against the grain to differentiate ourselves. So at when we started, every tavern had Miller Lite uh, and either uh, uh, Capital Amber or Sprecher Amber. And Amber Ale was what was, or Amber Lager, what was considered craft beer in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Um, that was your fancy beer. Yeah, that was the fancy, that was the expensive beer. So... When we started out, we made a lager beer, more or less in the Czech tradition. And soon after that, I was speaking to a wholesaler and he made the comment that craft brewers don't know how to make light lagers. All they can make is amber beer. When I say light, I don't mean low calorie. I mean light colored American style lagers. 
And that kind of rubbed me wrong because I had spent three years working in Anheuser-Busch and had been involved in brewing millions and millions of barrels of Budweiser. Yeah, I mean, the last shift that I worked at Anheuser-Busch, we made more beer in that eight-hour period than we made, I think, in four years <laughs> at our at our little startup brewery. So, so I knew how to make uh, um, American-style lagers. And so I said, okay, dude, watch me. I'm going to come up with the beer. And when we started, it, it did contain... 10% corn, mm-hmm. which is, which is correct in this type of beer. Um, and I think it lends to the drinkability, but, um, we, as a company, we, we couldn't find, um, uh, non-GMO corn and mm-hmm. Deb was really wanted us to be making this beer all malt. So yeah. we switched to making it all malt just because at that time, that's what craft brewers did. Now, nowadays, craft brewers will do anything in their beer. And it's kind of makes me mad because in those days, you would be criticized. Yeah, if you'd you get dinged corn. for it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But be that as it may, what we did is we found low protein malt so that we could kind of ambulate the dilution that happens with rice or corn compared to barley malt and came up with a light, easy drinking, simple beer called Totally Naked. And the reason it's called Totally Naked, there's no sexual connotation to it. I I didn't even think about that. It was simply to do with a beer with nothing to hide behind. Yeah. There's, it's not highly hopped. It's not dark. It's just a simple, easy drinking beer, like singing acapella. Uh, on a stage. It's just simple, nothing to hide behind. It's totally naked. I say, if, if any sort of um, hidden meaning in the name, in the name of the beer, it's probably a message to that wholesaler saying, I'm not hiding behind anything here. You yeah. set the challenge. Here it is. Here you go. That's right. Well, should we, should we try it? Yeah, sure. I, I absolutely love when totally naked comes around every year because I am a fan of this style of beer. And I do feel like, um, and and I, I don't know if you thought of thought of it this way, but I, I certainly do that at the time when you when you made this and craft was really sort of sort of defining itself in opposition to to macro brewing, you know, they're in cans, we're in bottles, they're making light American lagers, we're making uh, amber ales, uh, IPAs, things like that. It's a brave decision to take up that challenge and be a craft brewer who's going to make a light again color. American style lager. So, you know, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, did that cross your mind when you were making this beer? Um, I, I think I've, I've always been somewhat, Deb and I have always been somewhat contrary. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, we, we think of ourselves just as a brewery where we're a brewery in Wisconsin, like any other brewery, like the, like the thousand barrel, uh, uh, tap room down the road or the multi-million barrel brewery in Milwaukee. We're all breweries. I don't want to limit myself to saying that I can only make this style of beer. Craft brewers are, are herd animals so that when everybody makes a whatever, you know, you talked about earlier when we, before, before we started about Mexican lagers, everybody makes a Mexican lager. They're all going to go that way. Or we're going to make a brewed IPA and the herd, all, all of the horses bolt that way. And we're the only horse that's left standing there going, why is everybody going that way? That's really not a good, good way to go. And, um, 
you know, we, we, we make ales. So obviously we, most of our beers are ales, but I'm a lager brewer. And so for me, it was a natural, uh, to make this type of beer because I wasn't viewing myself as part of a movement, mm-hmm. not like part of the craft beer movement. Um, um, I'm just an individual trying to make the best beer I can. And the, the, the value of a double IPA is no more important than the value of a light, easy drinking beer. In other words, some days I'm happy to eat uh, caviar, but other days I just want a freaking hot dog. <laughs> and so you have to be, you know, you can't be a snob. Mm-hmm. You can't be precious about it. That's right. Well, relax and have a beer. Relax and have a beer about it. And and what I really like about the story of Totally Naked, and as you're telling it, it's just, it, you know, it, it dings on all of these things we've been talking about with uh, sort of going your own way, creating something that, you know, at the time, craft, craft brewers were sort of poo-pooing in the idea of a light American lager. And as I'm drinking this, making it exceptionally, exceptionally well and exceptionally good and if you've been making it since, oh, the, the mid-90s, and here we are in, in 2023, I, I, I got to think it does fairly well for you guys every year to come back year over year as the seasonal. Yeah, uh, um, people are always uh, um, cajoling, encouraging us that it should be a year-round beer. And uh, even people in the brewery wish it was a year-round beer. But Deb's vision is very clear that mm-hmm. this is a summer drinking beer and people just like Staghorn Oktoberfest is a fall beer. If, if we had Staghorn out in, you know, in May and June, it would lose its relevance. Mm-hmm. So it's a cultural thing that when, when summer comes, I'm going to drink totally naked. When fall comes, I'm going to drink Staghorn. And that, that feeds into our, um, the ritual that, uh, Beer is more than just the taste. It's the ritual of seasonal change. And one of the reasons probably that a lot of us live in Wisconsin is that we really enjoy the seasonality of life and the seasonality of beer fits into that. And I think the beer would be diminished if we made it all year round. Well, and it's a very smart, you know, a very smart and astute way of, of doing things because as I'm thinking about craft beer and how these things have progressed and, and you see it sort of happen where, you know, a brewery will have sort of a runaway hit, right? And um, part of it is that, you know, well, the truck comes on Tuesdays and then it's gone and then we'll see you next month kind of a deal. And like they should, they start making more of it and their production goes up. But then the truck with that beer on it comes, you know, not once a month, but, you know, twice a month and then finally once a week. And And it almost seems like that beer loses something in that. Yeah, even though it's the same beer, it's the same beer. A- a- absence it's, makes the heart grow fonder. Exactly, nothing's changed about what's in the bottle. It's just it's on the shelf now, and you can just go and pick it up. That's human nature. Yeah, I, human I, nature. you know, I really, I really think so. So with with totally naked, do you think? Um, and we talked about the Mexican lager thing uh, when we were, when we were uh, sort of t- talking about what we want what we wanted to say here, and I remember five or six years ago. You, you were right. A, you know, a lot of craft breweries started making Mexican style lagers. What is sort of the difference between a Mexican light lager and an American light lager? <laughs> uh, short answer is not much. Not much. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think much. Maybe um, 
in general, uh, Mexican lager might be, have a little bit more hops in it. Mm -hmm. It might, it may, it not always, but it might have a little bit more malt and a little bit less corn, but it's pretty much the same. I would say the biggest thing is generally they're slightly more assertive, Mm -hmm. but that's not definitely not always the case. And certainly, uh, there are Mexican beers that are, that are bigger, like a special, uh, you know, that, that are more Pilsner style. Mm -hmm. Um, but most, uh, Modelo beers are, yeah, I mean, they're, they're like, they're just like American beers. Yeah. And, and my theory, and I don't know if you want to co-sign on it or not, was during that period of time, they wanted, like a lot of car brewers probably wanted to make something more easy drinking, but they were still a little bit wary of having the, the American light lager sort of label on a beer they made. Yeah, that's true. And uh, certainly Mexican imports are really doing well. Mexicans make great beers mm-hmm. and uh, they're, they're, they have a large market share that's growing. So uh, I think a lot of ta- uh, tap rooms or a lot of craft brewers want to have in their portfolio an easy drinking beer. And, um, you know, it used to be way back 30 years ago that, they would have a golden ale or a Kolsch. Mm-hmm. And uh, now people are kind of poo-pooing that idea because a Kolsch should be a traditional beer as people learn, mm-hmm. craft brewers learn. They like, oh, that's not really a Kolsch. So this is the new, newest permeation as the entry-level beer. And I just finished my my pour of the Totally Naked. And even... It, it's not been as long as I, I, I'm trying to think of the last time I had like a can, a can of Miller, or a can of Budweiser. It's probably not been as long as I'm thinking it is. But what I really like about, about Totally Naked is it gives you everything you want out of an American style lager and it finishes so quick. And it's one of those beers where you're like, oh yeah, I could have a couple of these mowing my yard and be completely yeah. content. You, you need from, for, in my opinion, you need to be ice cold. Uh, you need to be in a, in a frosted glass and you need clean draft lines. If you have those three things, it's, it's in a hot summer day. It's a thing of beauty. It's, it's so crisp. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got sweetness of malt. It's got that kind of noble hop character. That's just a mini amount. Uh, so it's not over the top. It's very easy drinking. And I think having two of these with a burger, um, is a is a uh, is a pleasure. So we've covered sort of the American style light lager, and I. It's funny to say, like it's almost like you're admitting something. Like I am a fan of American style light lagers. I think yeah, they are. Right. There's something to be said about uh, perfection and subtlety that really sort of uh, gets at one of my happy places. But we've also talked in the past about sort of your evergreen quest for the for the perfect <laughs> pilsner and i know you released one last year called uh pills uh 20 22 pills yeah, 22 pills 22 yeah. pills which people seem to really enjoy and it was uh sort of it sort of sold out the brewery pretty quick yep and uh, this encouraged you to bring to bring it back as a, a new seasonal release is this the same recipe or is this uh is this uh, it's the same it's more it's it's more or less the same it's just more or less the same malt so there there's a touch of american uh, malt from Minnesota in this, but it's uh, it's still the my f- favorite diamond hops, but it's also um, uh, a tradition uh, Hollertau. They're German hops. Tradition uh, Spalt Spalter. Um, I'm sorry, Spalt Select, uh, Hersbrucker, and um, all put together uh, in to try to give a more complex flavor. So this is a this is in true trying to find that perfect, never really being able to get there, uh, 
a continuation of that journey. Yeah, Deb said uh, basically this is it. So this is you better lock this one in. So this is a uh, new Glarus Pilsner. This is going to be the new Glarus Pilsner. I, yeah. I really dig that, and this is one of the things where I get to um, say a sentence that. Uh, makes me sound really cool, but this Pilsner literally just came off the can line right now. This this came this is being packaged today. Yeah, I uh, uh, on the way down here, I was up at working at the Hilltop Brewery. I grabbed it off the line and brought it down for us to taste. Well, I am I'm very excited to, to try this. And so, what can we expect uh, different between sort of the American style lager in in Totally Naked and the New Glarus Pilsner? Uh, this is about three times as, as bitter. This is a, a 35, 36 IBUs. It's made in a traditional European way with a double decoction. It's made in open fermenters. It's, uh, I think it's a six plus weeks of lagering. So it's a, made in a very traditional way. Lots, lots more hops. Uh, it's meant to be malty and rich and aromatic. There are the Pilsner originally was a beer that comes from the town of Pilsen mm-hmm. in Czechoslovakia. Thus, a beer from Pilsen is called a Pilsner. But Pils or Pilsner beers are, were copied in Germany, and they're usually lean and light in color and very aromatic. And the Czech versions, Czech lagers, are, are more malty and very, very bitter. Uh, so this beer was a... Um, at least Pilsner Urquell is. And this is kind of a blend of both styles because I think there's merits in both. So I tried to make a beer that's aromatic, malty, um, and has enough bitterness that people know that it's a Pilsner. And where 22 Pils was, uh, like we said, a brewery exclusive, this is seasonal and going yeah, out. Yeah, this is going out in 12-pack 12, uh, 12 cans. Awesome. That's very cool. So for all of you who couldn't get to 22 pills down here last year, look for, for this in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, it's much, uh, it's, it's very herbal and citrus, uh, with a, a crisp hop bitterness and then a sweet malt afterwards. That's that it is exactly right on the head. Cause it's really funny when I went to take my, my drink and I got it up to my, my nose, the first thing I noticed was almost like, um, you know, like an IPA sort of scent on it with, with the assertive, the assertive hops. But as soon as you take that sip, you do get the hops, but it just, it finishes out in that crisp, clean Pilsner way that just, you, you know, that, uh, that some IPAs can't really do, right? They don't finish as quickly as, as something like this does. Well, there's this- no American hops. There's no of that, what I call that pithy, uh, brewers called hop burn mm-hmm. from the dry hopping. So it's, uh, it, 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 it smells sort of like a summer day that herbally, yeah. you know, like when you're walking through a field of wildflowers and the sun is beating down and the, you know, the crickets and the birds are, uh, that smell is, is what you smell. So I know sort of what it's like to be chasing something artistic and knowing, you know, what's in your head is, is, is you're, you're only going to be able to get it as fractionally close when it gets on, the, you know, when you're writing the recipe and it gets on the, the paper. Right. To you, in your mind, is your, is your quest ongoing? I know Deb said this, <laughs> this is the, the one you're going to laminate, but in your mind, is your quest still ongoing for the, for the perfect Pilsner? Well, I guess to be honest, you know, perfection is, is never achieved. Um, and uh, certainly every time we brew, we, we learn a little bit. So there are maybe little subtle tweaks mm-hmm. that I might make, like, you know, change the mash temperature a little bit or 
change the hopping rate or when we add the hops, mm-hmm. but the basic structure is will be recognizable. And I, I'm really glad of that because I'm drinking this, and this is this is an amazing pilsner. This is really really good, and it's it's just giving me, like you said, that just that nice herbally crisp pilsner. It, it, this is a this is a beer that's very very good for a day like today, where yeah, where it just exactly. got really warm out of nowhere. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So we've talked about uh, American style lagers, and we sort of run through the history of that. And we've talked about what differentiates an American-style lager from, you know, uh, German-style lager, where these these sort of things originated, and how that uh, subsequently uh, differs from a Pilsner, which is what we are drinking now. Is there anything, you know, else you want to say about these two styles of beer and how they sort of relate to each other? Uh, they're made with the same yeast, so when you when you taste uh, Totally Naked versus Nuglaris Pilsner, the underlying character is the same. But uh, uh, Totally Naked is made with 100% um, American um, barley malt, mostly from Montana and Idaho. And it's made with, uh, with saws hops. So those are the only two ingredients. It's very simple. Um, it's made with an infusion mash. The, and it's like it's only 10.5 degrees Play-Doh, which means that, I don't know, it's 4.5% alcohol. The 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 Pilsner is a is a much more intense beer. It's as I said, it's made in the very traditional way of brewing the continental old school all malt. The the beer is more or less one quarter uh, American uh, malt, one quarter um, uh, German malt, and uh, half Czech malt. And then as I I mentioned, the hops that are in it. So it's. Uh, it's a more intense, intense beer, bigger beer, and stylistically, they're very different, um, but they come from the same tradition. Well, I am, I am very glad that these two beers are as, as, as laminated as they can possibly be. In yeah. a, it, oh, well, Totally Naked is done deal. That, that's, that, that's, that ain't, that ain't going to change one lick. Well, Dan, I, I will let you get back to, to brewing uh, world-class beers here here in Brewing New Glarus. And uh, again, thank you for your time. I really appreciate these chats and when I get to have a beer with you. Yeah, it's kind of nice to sit and have a beer instead of running around. So thanks. Yeah, I, I will co-sign that. Yeah. Have a good one, Dan. Thanks, Scott. <laughs>